Hi, I'm Jeff again. I'm, I'm uh, one of the pastors on our team. It's my joy to be with you today and be in John. Thank you, Sage, for that. In John chapter 7. We're reading through the book of John together this year. I hope you're doing that. I hope you're in the passage during the week and, uh, and uh, checking out the pastoral devotions that come three or four of those a week on Instagram. We're right in the middle of, um, of this first half of the book of John, which is uh, about Jesus talking about hunger and thirst. He says it again in the text that we're going to look at today. He's, all recognize, he's always recognizing that we're people who have deep and heartfelt desires. He knows what we long for. He's in touch with that. He came as a human to be in touch with all that we long for and that he knows that he's the answer to everything that's in our hearts. So if you miss, any, if you miss the rest of the sermon, here's the answer, Jesus. What's in your, what are the, what do you do with your longings? What's in your heart? You know, there's a, there's a time in your, in your, your life when, I don't mean a time in your life, like a season of life, but I mean, there's a time in your day where those longings sort of crop up, where they come out. For, it may be when you lay your head on the pillow and you haven't fallen asleep yet, and you think about what's going on in your life. You know that moment? I don't love that moment. Do you love that moment? No. Or when you wake up early in the morning, for guys like me and you, David, that's when you get up early. Yep. And you're laying there going, first of all, you say, do I really have to go to the bathroom again? And then the next thing you say is, wow, there's a lot of stuff going through my mind. Those are the times that we get in touch with our deepest longings, where there's some quietness and that haunting of the stuff that we're longing for comes to play in, in our minds, that we, that we realize all the things that we're longing for that are in our life, all the good memories pass through, the, the warm fuzzies come, and you think about how rich the people are in your life, the opportunities that you've been given, some of the provisions that God has given you, those come in, and then the things that you're waiting for that you, you haven't yet seen, the pain that's in your life, the unanswered questions, the difficulties that you're facing, those come, don't they? And they weigh on you and they're in the deepest places. What are you longing for? What's, what's in your life that you are so moved by, both because it's rich and because it's painful? Beauty and pain are the only two things that pierce the human soul, but we often don't get in touch with those desires because when they come up, we push them out. In fact, there's a, people do one of three things with their desires. One of the things they do with their desires is they just kill them. They're like, well, I don't like feeling that. I don't want to think about it. I want to think about my pain. I don't want to think about what I'm longing for, what I've lost. I don't want to think about what needs are unmet. Like, it's just too hard, so I'm going to kill it. I'm just not going to experience my heart. I'm going to coast at this level. Oh, but God made us to be people who hunger and thirst. That's what Jesus keeps saying. That doesn't work for a while. So what happens is, that's one thing we do. We try to squash it down, just kill our heart. The second thing then is we just then feed it, not the things that, of God, but we feed it false lovers. We give ourselves away to things that anesthetize that, that for a minute will take away our hunger and thirst. A minute will take away our loneliness. For a minute will give us a sense of joy or relief from our pain. And so we give it all kinds of stuff that are not the things that ultimately our hearts are longing for. We kill our hearts, we give it false lovers, give our heart away. Or with third, we lean into it. 
we go, all right, Lord, this is the love I need. This is the intimacy I desire. This is the provision that I'm expecting from you. This is the beauty of life that I want to see and that I'm experiencing. And all of those kinds of things come flooding in on us where we really do go, okay, God, I'm going to get in touch with all the love and joy and beauty and intimacy and peace and rest and adventure and healing and provision, all the things that I'm experiencing and not experiencing. I'm going to be a person present with my longings, my hunger, my thirst. This is who God made us to be. Jesus is at the end of all of those longings is the answer. Yep, our hunger and thirst really, friends, is for life where all things are as they should be. That's what our hunger and thirst is. It's for life as it should be, right? And so we're waiting on that to happen. We're longing for it to happen. We're lamenting when it's not happening. But rather than kill our hearts or anesthetize our hearts, we lean in. Because God's made us to be people who hunger and thirst. It's actually been Jesus' teaching in the first third of the book of John. Jesus has been kind of going over a few of the same ideas. And one of them is they're like, who are you? And people are asking who he is. And the Pharisees are trying to figure it out. And they're all obsessed with theology and, and their religion and their practice. And they're like, why are you healing on the Sabbath? And there's all kinds of questions about who Jesus is. And so they keep asking that question, who is Jesus, who are you, who are you? And Jesus keeps talking about the fact that he is the satisfaction of everyone's deepest longings. So a few chapters ago in chapter four, we talked about Jesus meeting the woman at the well, right? And it has this verse, this passage, uh, it comes from that that um, these verses come from that text. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. There it is. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. In other words, if you put your trust in me, you're never gonna have your longings unmet. The deepest places will be met by me. Indeed, the water I give them will become like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is like, I'm at the end of all human hunger, and thirst. A couple chapters later, Ben preached on it last week, John chapter 6, these words from Jesus. Uh, Then Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. He uses a different metaphor. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and there it is again, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He goes, you're a hungering and thirsting people. Again, for all that you were created for, love and joy and peace and intimacy and healing and the provision of God and on and on, all the things that happen inside us. We were created to be that. And he goes, I'm at the end of that search. Come on, isn't this good news? And then this, and then we read John 7, we get there this week, and he does it again. And at the end of John chapter 7, these verses in 7:37 and following, On the last and greatest day of the festival, the festival they were at, we'll talk about that in a second, Jesus stood and in a loud voice he said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, whoever puts their trust in me, as scripture has said, living water will flow from within them. Living water will flow from within them. Our hunger and thirst is for life as it should be. And Jesus goes, I'm at the end of all that longing. So just a couple things to point out here. Clearly, again, he's talking about hunger and thirst again. He's talking about our longings 
that are from God, that as human beings, we've got inside us this desire for life as it should be. And here it is again, and he connects it to belief. Whoever believes in me, whoever puts their trust in me, whoever understands that I've come from God, I've rescued you from your sin, I I will die on the cross for you, I'm going to reunite you into a relationship with God. Anybody who puts their trust in that is going to drink. Like It's the answer to what we're looking for. So he comes back to hunger and thirst. He talks about belief, which is really about putting our trust in him. And then he goes on to talk about the Holy Spirit again. The next verse says, by this, he said, you know, streams of living water are going to come. They believe in me. I'm going to satisfy that thirst. And then he goes on to say, by this, uh, John says, by this, he meant the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed him were going to receive later. Up to that time, the Spirit of God had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. A little theological study real quick. Of course, what we understand there is that when Jesus died on the cross, the scriptures promise that anyone who puts their faith in Christ, puts their hope in Christ, believes Christ for their forgiveness and their salvation, their restoration to a relationship with God, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells them as God's gift of his presence inside them. Come on, amen, hallelujah. So that's the good news. And so Jesus is saying, you're a hungering and thirsting people. Those are from God for the deepest things. Let's not kill our hearts. Let's not anesthetize those. Let's not give them away to false lovers, but let's lean into it for if you believe in me, all those longings will be met by the Holy Spirit, the presence of God within us. So that's what Jesus is emphasizing here. Again, for the third time in three chapters, he's saying that here is life and it's what I've come to bring. That's so good. Now, a little bit of context about where Jesus said this teaching. If you look at verse 37 of John 7, uh, it says that on the last and greatest day of the festival. Now, if you're reading John 7, if you've been in it this week, and I hope you are, and next week I hope you're in John 8 and so forth, I hope you're reading ahead, just diving in. Maybe you read the, that ch- the chapter we're going to be uh, preaching on, you read the whole chapter seven times next week, or maybe you read it one-seventh of it every day for the week. But we'd love to have you engaging in these so that you come uh, having soaked in the teaching already. But anyway, it says you'll, you know from the beginning of the chapter that, that this festival was the festival of tabernacles, or it was the festival of booths, it's, it's called in the Old Testament too, or the festival of ingathering. And it was a festival that happened at the end of the harvest, so it was in the fall, and people gathered together every year for this festival. Now, I want to talk about this festival. You read about it in Leviticus 23, of course, right? Oh, we need to be in Leviticus 23, don't you think? All right, let's do it. Let's grab your Bibles. Let's look at Leviticus 23 so we can get the context. Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. It's the third book of the Bible. So grab a Bible underneath in front of you. And, uh, and it's the, very, the third book of the Bible, Leviticus. Somebody get a page number for me. Leviticus 23 in the church Bible. Sorry. 122, thank you. All right, Leviticus 23. Just so that we can go, would you do a church today? Oh, you know, Leviticus 23. So Leviticus 23, this is where the Lord is telling Moses about all of the different festivals that they should be celebrating. And he didn't just do that because he's a partying God, which he is. He did that because he was creating for them reminders, liturgies of the 
most important messages that they would never forget by these things. And so he, the, one of the festivals he puts together is the, feast of, uh, the Festival of Tabernacles. So drop down to verse 39. We'll start there. The Festival of Tabernacles. So be, everybody there? No? Somebody said no? Okay, I'll wait for you. You know what you need? This, the, you could see, if you had a Bible with color on every page, like a chart, people are laughing. You, what, what are you, yes, you know that this is my favorite thing. This is so good. You could learn about all the festivals and what it was that God was trying to teach. There are so many good. Who wants one of these Bibles that has never had? Oh, back row? Come on. Come on down. I can't run all the way over there. I'll lose my, Tim, you can meet him halfway. Here you go. I'm happy to give that to you. That, you're going to love that. And then next week, there's going to be a quiz on all the festivals of the Old Testament. All right. <laughs> okay. Where were we? 39? Leviticus 23, 39. So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you've gathered the crops of the land, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of Sabbath rest. And the eighth day, also a day of Sabbath rest. Oh, I just want to preach on this whole text. And it's not our point. The whole thing isn't our point. But look, it's a festival. You've brought in the, you've brought in the provision that God gave you. Now you rest. You stop all your labor so that you remember that it's not you who brought the answer to all of your longings. Come on now. But it was God who did it. So you rest. You do a Sabbath going, oh, God brings everything I need. And then you have this festival and you celebrate for a whole week. And then on the eighth day, in case you forgot, you do another rest. This is a festival of God's provision. It's a celebration of God being in their midst. Where are we? Verse 40. On the first day of the, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees, from palms and willows and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. So wave the branches at least, and then you're going to find out that they're going to take those branches, and they're going to build huts. They're going to build tents. They're going to build lean-tos. This is like lost and afraid or whatever. Celebrate, verse 41, as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. It says it again. Celebrate as this to the Lord, for seven days each year, it is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month and live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters. Why? Verse 44, so that, verse 43, so that your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters. When? When I brought them out of Egypt. For I am Yahweh. I am your God, and you're my people, is that message. So Moses announced to the Israelites the appointed festivals of the Lord. I love this. I love this. God orchestrated a festival where he was going to remind them that he has provided for them. That year, yes. That harvest, yes. But you know what? Human beings, in all their longings and all their desires for peace and rest and provision, they right away, they, we, this harvest, they would turn around and go, oh God, we hope it rains enough so that we'll have a harvest next year. They begin to worry right then, right there about the next thing, about the next season, about whether God's promises are going to be fulfilled. Their longings can't just be squashed. Their longings can't just be put down by a week of partying because they're going to look again for the the confidence that God is in their midst. And so God's like, listen, so not only are we going to celebrate this festival, this harvest festival, we're going to celebrate and make you live in a tent. Why? Because then your kids are like, why are we living in a tent? We're living in a tent, kids, because God rescued our people from bondage in Egypt against all odds, and he brought us to a land flowing with milk and honey, and he promised to take care of us, and he did it again this year, and he's going to do it again next year, and he's been doing it since the beginning of the story of our people. And so you don't forget it, you're going to live outside in a hut. Is that the best? 
I dare you. I double dog dare you to live in a hut. It'd be so good. <laughs> Glamping, yeah. And so this is the context. This is the festival. So it is a year celebrating this agricultural harvest, but it's also a year celebrating their wandering in the wilderness. They are celebrating that God has delivered them from every bondage. Come on now. And he's, they're celebrating that he will provide and has provided every time. Come on now. Because these are our longings. And remember this context, Jesus is like, and I'm at the end of all of these longings to be delivered from bondage, to be provided for, to know that even though right now I've got my needs met, even though last time God came through, next time he'll come through again. And it was more than just the present day longing. By the time of Jesus, listen to this, by the time of Jesus, a tradition had built up where the priests would go up during this festival of, of tabernacles. Tabernacle means temporary housing. Okay, or booths, temporary housing, or festival of ingathering because of the harvest. So anyway, during this festival of tabernacles, a tradition arose where the priests would then go down to the pool of Siloam, which is the water source for Jerusalem. And now the image of water starts to come to play here. And all that it means, because without water, there's no life. And water in the scriptures is always an example of God's presence and blessing, and flowing, and re resourcing, and reviving, and restorating, and, is that a word? And, all, right? This is what water is. Remember the original thing? We're back here. Jesus said, oh, if you believe in me, streams of living water will flow. Well, the tradition had risen up where the priests would go down to the pool of Siloam. They'd take a gold pitcher and they would dip it into the pool and they would bring it back up to the temple. And in the temple around the altar, they would pour out the water as a symbol of God's provision. Isn't that beautiful? So this is the, so not only in that, when they start seeing that, that's not just a sign that God's going to bring you security today, that God's going to meet your needs today. That was a sign that our longings were for the kingdom of God much greater because all the symbols of water in their Old Testament that they would have known, they would have thought about where Isaiah talked about it. They would have thought about where Ezekiel talked about it. And they would realize, oh, our longings are, are built in yearning for the great restoration. Our longings are part of our longing for heaven to come, for the great restoration. Not only where everything will be the way it is, the way that it should be in life now, but our longings are simply are built in yearning for the great restoration of all things. We're eternal people longing for eternity to come. So this festival was a celebration of longing. It was a celebration of the longing that, would, that God would meet our needs now, but a celebration that we long for even more than that, for eternal things, for the restoration of all things, for the full completion of God's will in the world. So it's more than, than just the, the, the old times. It's more than, than uh, um, just the provision now. This idea of water flowing from the altar is a picture of the Old and New Testament um, teaching that the final coming of the kingdom of God is at hand. It's our longing for heaven. 
And so this ceremony by the priests was evocative of some of those passages about the kingdom of God. And I want to look at them because I want to look at the full meaning of what Jesus was trying to say by saying this is what they had in their minds. They had this idea of water. So I want to look at Ezekiel 47 because that's probably what they were acting out, or at least it's what the people would have had in their minds when they saw the priests pouring the water and they were celebrating. So Ezekiel 47, yep, we're doing not only Leviticus 23, but we're doing Ezekiel 47 this week. How great is that? What did you pay to get in here? This is so worth it. All right. Ezekiel 47. Let's get, I don't have all this, the, the text up on the screen. It's just, a, a, so you're going to need to be in your Bible. I don't want you to miss it. So somebody give me a Ezekiel page number in the church Bibles. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Eight, seven, eight, Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel chapter 47. Eight, seven, eight, Ezekiel 47. My gosh, you guys are so lucky. You're so lucky you got Leviticus and Ezekiel in one sermon. (laughs) Thanks, David. (laughs) Worth it. All right. Ezekiel 47. So what's happening here is Ezekiel 47 is a picture that they all would have known. They all would have been taught this picture that it has this imagery of water. And when the priests were pouring out the water on the the altar, when the priests were celebrating God's provision, when the priests were celebrating their longing for God to take care of them and for life to be as it should be, they would have had this picture in mind and it would have tapped into that collective Israeli, Jewish, uh, should I say human, hunger and thirst for all that one day will be made right. And so it was this incredible celebration because not only were they going, yep, God's going to maybe provide us next year our harvest. They're saying, yep, this is the kingdom of God that meets our deepest needs. So Ezekiel 47, the man, it's a, this, is, this is the prophet Ezekiel writing, and the man was an angel. It was a manifestation from God this, and, and is showing him this vision. It says, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. Now, wait a minute. The, the thing is, so already what we're, first of all, what's the temple? The temple was the place in Jerusalem that God built to house his presence. And it was the signal that God was here. And he was with his people. And that they, he was their God and they were his people. And he was among them faithful to all that they were longing for. And yet, Jerusalem had been totally sacked by the Babylonians. Their temple destroyed the city in ruins. And all the people, well, mo- most of the people were exiled to different parts of the empire and over to Babylon. And Ezekiel was living in Babylon. He had seen the temple. He had seen the destruction. And now he was in Babylon. And he gets this vision. Now, already this is a vision of longing, of putting Ezekiel in touch with his longings because he was brought back to the temple. And he's looking at this temple, the presence of God, and he knows the rubble that is actually existing way over in Jerusalem when he gets this vision in Babylon. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east. He saw water flowing. Now here's water. This is the picture. The temple is a picture of God's presence and therefore his provision, but water is a picture of the full life that God gives. When you see water in scripture, it's fulfillment, it's satisfaction, it's healing, it's redemption, it's restoration, it's cleansing, it's, did I say provision? 
It's all of those things. And so he goes, I came back, I saw the temple, meaning the presence of God, and from the presence of God, water was coming, life was coming, provision was coming. From where? From where? From the presence of God himself. So the angel shows him around. The water was coming down from the south side of the temple, south of the altar, and then he brought me out through the north gate and led me around to the outside of the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. This is why when we read Ezekiel, we're like, I'm already done. Where's the, you know? So yeah, I'll just, you know, you could, you could draw a map and figure it out. But the point is water is coming from the temple itself. This healing, refreshment, and restoration of all of human longing is coming from God himself. Verse three, and as the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, which was, it's about a third of a mile. And then he led me through water that was ankle deep. Now listen, what's gonna happen. He goes, as we came, what comes from God is this satisfying, healing, fulfilling presence of God, this water, and it was ankle deep. And then he measured out another third of a, of a, of a cubit and it was knee deep. And he measured out a, a third of a mile, that is. And he measured another third of a mile and it was waist deep. And he measured another third of a mile. And this, look at this, the presence of God, you guys, the power of God, the refreshment of God, the healing of God, all those things was growing it was coming and it was increasing and eventually it was so big that it was a river that nobody could cross. This is the heart of God to say, you're a people of hunger and thirst and I will keep coming for you. And it'll be ankle deep, it'll be knee deep, it'll be waist deep and then it'll be overwhelming to you the ways in which life comes from me. Come on now. And then he took me back. Oh, and I love the fact that in verse six, the, the angel turns to him and goes, hey, do you see this? Do not miss this. This is incredible what's happening. There's no streams, tributaries coming. A river shouldn't be growing from a little trickle from under the temple, but it is because that's the nature of the kingdom of God. He'll keep coming to meet our longings. And then he led me back to the bank of the river. Verse seven, when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on either side of the river, which right is the sign of life. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, which is a desert. And there it enters the Dead Sea. And where it empties into the Dead Sea, the salty water becomes fresh. Have you seen the Dead Sea? Have you heard the story? It's cut off and the minerals there kill everything around. There's no life there. And in this picture of the refreshment of God, the Dead Sea becomes fresh. The Hebrew word literally means dead, the, water, the salty water becomes healed. And life is able to be there. And swarms of living creatures will live there. There's no fish in the Dead Sea. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because the water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Oh, you, gotta, you can underline that in a church Bible if you want. Where the water flows. Everything will live. I don't know what the Hebrew words are, but I'm going to get them as a tattoo. Where the river flows, everything will live. You are people of hunger and thirst for the deepest things. And where the river flows, everything will live. Come on now. Do you need me to say that again? 
You are a people who want love and intimacy in the presence of God and provision and trust and peace and rest and mission. You want all of those things. You want all that is not yet done in your life to be done. You need all the healing to be done. You are longing for the deepest things. And where the river flows, there is life. Do you believe that? Come on, this is Ezekiel. Is this the best? <laughs> and fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Engelim, and there will be places for spreading the nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. Are you kidding me? The Dead Sea is going to have fish like the Mediterranean. And the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They'll be left for salt because salt's needed. And so where the banks overflow, there'll still be salt, but it'll be the good kind of salt. It won't just be a dead lake. And fruit from, of trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will the fruit fail every month. And this is a desert, you guys. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from where? What does it say? From the sanctuary, from the presence of God flows to them. And their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. This is the fruit of the month club in the kingdom of heaven. Do you see the image, the picture? Maybe, maybe in the eternal kingdom when, when the consummation of this comes and God's presence is fully with us and the new heaven and the new earth are together in one place, maybe there literally will be that river or maybe it's just a picture. But the point is where the water flows, there's life. healing. This is a picture of the great restoration. And it is what our hunger and thirsts are yearning for. And you've got to see that it comes from the presence of God. It comes from the temple. It comes because it's God's fulfillment of his plan. It's what we were intended for. It's heaven. It's Eden. This water picture is all, it starts that way in the book of Genesis where God built a garden and put his perfect people. And a river flew. Flood, flewed, fled, flit, flowed into the garden to water the trees to bring life. And then it's in the prophets like this passage. And then it's at the end of our text of our Bible in Revelation 22. You got to see that. Look at Revelation 22. Then the angel, and I think it's the same angel. He gives John a vision. It's right here on my screen if you want to see it. The angel showed me the river of the water of life. As clear as crystal flowing from where? From where? The throne of God and the Lamb. This is Jesus who was found worthy to open the scroll. Who found worthy to provide restoration for God's people. So the river of life is flowing from the presence of God and from Jesus down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood this tree of life. That's from Genesis, bearing 12 crops of fruit and yielding its fruit every month. There it is again. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, not only for your healing, not only for God's people's healing, but for the healing of the whole world. This is the power of God's water. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They'll see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. They'll be marked for him. And there will be no more night. They will not need a light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever 
and ever. Oh, this is such a teaching. No wonder Jesus rehearsed this truth in this moment in John chapter 7 on the last and greatest day of the festival. This festival of celebration, this festival of longing where the people would watch, the people would come and they would say, God, would you come through again next year? And they would watch the priests with the water and they would say, God, would you come and bring your kingdom in its fullness? In fact, they would, in that context, the priests, they would, then this Jesus was rehearsing this, this, uh, in this context where Jesus rehearsed this, they were watching and their longing was growing. They would watch the priest get the water. They would watch the priest quote Isaiah 12, 3, that says, with the joy, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And they would feel that sense of, not only do we want provision for this year, not only do we want provision for next year's crop, but God, we want salvation. We want you to send your Messiah. We want the kingdom to come in its fullness. And they would be thinking of Isaiah 47. They would have it in their minds where they would see the temple rebuilt. They would see the flowing of the water rising to a torrent. They would see trees. They would see water being healed of its saltiness. They would see food for all. They would see the healing of diseases. Oh, they're longing in that moment. And you and I long for the same things. And among that, Jesus knew their hunger and their thirst for all of it. For God's presence now, for God's kingdom to come in its fullness. And it is in that context that Jesus stands, the text says. He stood, which respected teachers didn't stand. They sat down uh, and, and he stood up. And I always, I'm always like right on the edge of the stage when I think about this passage where Jesus stood up and it said, and then in a loud voice, in a passionate voice, he cried out, the text says, he cried out, he said, I, are you thirsty? Are you longing for all of this healing? Are you longing for this presence of God? Are you longing for this restoration? Are you longing for all of the things that God put in your heart? Come to me. Come to me, he says. In this text, I know you are a hungering and thirsting people, and I am at the end of all of your longing. Come to me. And those who believe, he said, when if you come to me, streams of living water will flow from within them. Jesus is passionate about you finding him. He knows that what you long for, that he's the answer to it. And he comes, he says, come trust in me and that life will be given to you. And here's the twist in the whole story. And that great restoration begins now because my Holy Spirit indwells you today. And the spirit who brings new life, as we studied in John chapter three with his conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus' conversation, that spirit who initiates new life, that spirit brings the river of God within you now. And so our longing for all that the kingdom has to bring starts now with the spirit. Can you just taste the longing? Church, in Ezekiel 47, Ezekiel said he waded in. He stepped into the river. For wherever the river flowed, church, there was life. And he stepped in, and it was ankle deep. And as he stepped in, and it was ankle deep, a little further down, he stepped a little further, and it was knee deep. And he stepped a little further, and it was waist deep. And he stepped a little further, and the torrent overwhelmed him. And this is a picture of us 
entering into the stream of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. Every longing you have is a longing for life as it should be and a longing for life as it one day will be and the twist of the story is that life comes through the Spirit starting today. And so will you enter in? Will you enter into the flow? Will you walk into the stream where God wants to do his work in you and meet you at the place of every longing? I'm gonna ask the band to come. We're gonna worship in response, but listen, I don't know what you're doing with your longing. I don't know what you're doing with your longings for what is, what is not yet. I don't know what you're doing with your deep hunger and thirst for love and intimacy and provision and restoration and peace and joy. I don't know what you're doing with your longings, your thirst. Some of you are killing your hearts because it's too painful. Some of you are anesthetizing your hearts with short-term, adulterous relationships. Do you know what I mean? You're giving yourself away to somebody other than God. To cover up the longing. To for a minute feel better. For a minute to feel like the things that I so deeply want, I get a piece of it. But the other option is that we turn to the giver of the streams of the water of life and we enter in and meet him there. It comes by the Holy Spirit who is now already in our midst, inside you. Let's worship and even now enter into the presence of that life-giving spirit. Let's stand together.